0: Psalm 27, we're continuing our series entitled "Fearless." Less. Uh, if you have the Hui Kala app on your phone, which you should, uh, you can click on uh, our Fear Less series. Click on today's message. There's a button that says Fill in Notes. Uh, you can actually click on that and it'll show you all the verses we're going to cover, uh, all the blanks that we got uh, for you for today. Uh, you can follow along that way. Just grab a sheet of paper and uh, jot down some notes as we go through this passage. I think this is message number uh, seven in our series. We've got two more weeks left, and then we'll go back to Philippians 4, uh, verse by verse to that. And so I also want to encourage you, if you don't normally come on Sunday nights, come tonight at 5 o'clock, uh, because tonight we're taking a look through the book of James. We're still going through that verse by verse, but tonight's message is making the most of the Word of God. We're going to take a look at how we can maximize our use of the Bible, and so I want to encourage you to be here tonight at 5 o'clock. Even if you don't normally come, come tonight, because I know tonight's message will be a help uh, to you for sure. Psalm 27. We're going to read through the uh, the whole psalm. This is one of those psalms that's so rich that we really could make an entire series out of this. There's only 14 verses, but there's so much truth about Christ the character of God, uh, about the Christian life, uh, so much truth about fear versus faith in this passage. We're just going to hit the high points to today. Uh, we're just going to get the really low-hanging fruit, I guess you could say. Uh, but there's so much good stuff, and I'd encourage you to, to parse through this psalm yourself. Uh, read through it, because I know for a fact it'll be a help to you. Psalm 27, we're going to start in verse number 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou settest, seek my face. My heart is unto thee. Thy face, Lord will I seek. Hide not thy face from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path, because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over into the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. If you have a guy who could have some confidence, some bravado, some, uh, I guess, courage and boldness, it would probably be David. You take David from the age of a boy. He was a shepherd. He fought against lions uh, to keep him away from his sheep. Uh, When nobody else wanted to stand against Goliath, he was willing to stand against Goliath. When God chose uh, a king over Israel after Saul had sinned against Israel, the first good king of Israel, we sometimes refer to him as David. You talk about a guy who had uh, the ability to go out to war and to throw down with people. Uh, they, They sang songs about how David... How tough David was in battle. Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Talk about a guy who was tough, it was David. But it's interesting that when it comes to finding confidence in difficult times, David realized that self-confidence was no confidence at all. David realized that he needed to lean on something that was stronger than himself. And David probably has a resume better than anybody in this room here today of the things that God did in his life, the things that he saw, the things that he had overcome. But he realized that that was not enough. You and I make the mistake when we think that we're strong enough to handle it on our own. We're tough enough to just grind through it and get through it. We need something that's greater than ourselves. I'm entitled today's message, Confidence and Fear. When we take a look at things like fear, uncertainty, and doubt, we need to understand that our self-confidence fails, but our confidence in God never will. We take, take a look at verse number one. He says here about the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Again, someone who could call on their own self confidence David, but he says, No, no, I'm not going to do that because I only have confidence in the Lord. While David had many reasons to boast and brag and to, to walk in his own boldness, he realized also his own shortcomings. He realized how he was not enough to make it. He realized his own failures, and he needed something greater than himself. I love how he describes in verse number one, the Lord is my light. You see, you and I cannot find the way on our own. We need the light of the Lord. He is my light. It's interesting, as we look through the Bible, God is always personified by light, Darkness is always evil, darkness is always bad, but light is always, points us to who God is. We think of Jesus who He says, I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ brings light to darkness. Jesus goes on to say that you and I, if we're the children of God, as Christians, we are the light of the world also. There were to be salt and light in a very dark world. And then no man lights a candle and then places it under a bushel replaces it on a stand. a, A city on a hill cannot be hidden because it's out there, it's bright, it's shining the way that you and I are supposed to shine. But our source of light is not our own personal light, our source of light is the Lord. The book of James says that every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is all light all the time. And light dispels darkness, and light allows us to see things clearly as they are. You see, before you and I knew Jesus, before you and I were saved or born again, we didn't understand spiritual things. The Bible says that much of this world walks in darkness. They don't see things the way that you and I see them. Again, if, if all I know is what I see here on this earth... If my eyes are darkened to the truth, I think that this is all that there is. Hey, you only get one time around on this earth. You better make it a good one. So life's too short to spend time being unhappy, working a job you don't want to do, living in a place you don't want to live, being married to somebody you don't want to be married to, having kids that frustrate you. Life's too short, so you need to get out there and enjoy life. That's what the world says. Because they're walking in darkness. But when... God illuminates and makes everything clear for you. Light dispels darkness and allows you to see things more clearly. Also, whenever it's dark, fear creeps in, doesn't it? Because we can't see clearly. We have uh, the luxury of living in in Hawaii, and there's all kinds of little critters around here sometimes. There's been times before where it's dark, and I feel something go across my head. Flip on the light and find, I probably should have left the light off, right? I didn't want to see what just crawled across my head. We have uh, geckos in our house. And just so you know, geckos eat cockroaches, so geckos are our friends. And so sometimes people want to kill geckos. Let them live. Let them be. You're going to be a, have a lot less bugs in your house if you've got geckos. And so they're our friends. They can also save us 15% or more on our car insurance. So just <laughs> let them be, all right? But light's a unique thing, isn't it? Last, uh, this past weekend, we had some interesting things that were taking place over on Kona Street. And uh, if you've never driven down Kona Street, you probably don't have a need to. Don't ever go. And so uh, it's interesting. Over here, we have multi-million dollar condos. And over here, we have uh, bars and, and hostess bars and prostitution and drugs and everything else. Uh, it's, it's amazing that uh, 180 feet can have that much of a difference, but it does. But there's some stuff going on back here. Me and my son, Van, went back there to check it out. And I got one of my big, huge mag light flashlights with D batteries, right? Because a couple of things. First of all, you need light when you go out into the darkness. And second of all, the big mag lights with the D batteries can also be used as a? To prop the door open is what I was going to say. Okay, it can be used as a weapon too. Uh, But uh, again, you go out there, I want light. I want to know what's going on. I want to know who's around. I want to be able to see exactly what's taking place out there. Why? Because light dispels darkness, and light brings courage, because at least you can see things clearly, and the Lord is our light. You find time and time again, if you were to read through the Psalms, how God has spoken of as a light, Psalm 18, verse number 28, for the thou wilt light my candle, the Lord God will enlighten my darkness, Psalm eighty four eleven. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will He withhold from them which walk uprightly. Psalm eighty four eleven is one of those verses in your Bible you should circle, you should star, you should underline, you should probably commit to memory. If you have an app on your phone or mobile device, you should highlight that in whatever app you use. Psalm eighty four eleven. The Lord is a son, and He's a shield. And it's interesting that the Lord is not a lamp illuminates an area around you. God is the sun that brings light to everything. The Bible tells us that in heaven there will be no sun because God is the light there. And so God doesn't just illuminate a small portion for us. God illuminates and brings light to everything. God is a sun and shield. God will give grace, but he'll also give mercy. And what a great promise there. In Psalm 8411, I love this part. And no Good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. That's what we sometimes refer to. We don't have time to unpack it today. But this is what we sometimes refer to as a conditional promise. You do your part, God does his part. No good thing will he withhold. From who? From those which walk uprightly. So you can't walk in rebellion and disobedience to God and expect him to give you all the good things. It doesn't work that way. But if you walk in holiness and righteousness and obey the Lord, no good thing will he withhold from them which walk uprightly. Why? Because he's our son, he's our shield, he'll give grace, he'll give mercy, and he'll give you every good thing as long as you choose to do it his way. Man, what a great God. But again, we see time and time again throughout the Bible that God is is described by light. And so light dispels the darkness. You and I can't find our way on our own. We need God's light The psalmist also says in Psalm 119, Thy word, the word of God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so if God is the light, how does he show himself to us? Through his word. So again, you can't know God without knowing the God of the Bible. You can't know God's plan for your life without knowing the Bible. And So that's why I encourage you, build your life upon the word of God. Secondly, I love what it says in verse number one as well. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You and I need to understand really quickly that we cannot fix our mess. He is our salvation. When it comes to life, you can't figure it out on your own. You can try, it'll end poorly, I guarantee you that. But we need someone to deliver us from our current situation, we need a Savior. Primarily when we think of needing a Savior, or the Lord being our salvation, we think of eternal life and the salvation of our soul. That's definitely important for sure. The Bible says that we're born into this world as enemies of God. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible says that we're the children of wrath, the children of disobedience, we're the children of the devil. We're not part of God's family, we're actually the enemies of God because we've sinned against God. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned against the holy God. All of us are in need of a Savior from our sins. We're all in danger of God's judgment. I deserve to go to hell. You deserve to go to hell because we've broken God's law, not once or twice, but on a continual basis. And because we've sinned against God, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. God's judgment is coming for each and every one of us. Somebody's going to have to pay for the sin that we've done, the Bible says. And so you can pay on your own by being separated from God, by spending eternity in hell. That will even things up between you and God. Or someone can pay for you. I cannot pay for your sin. I owe, owe God my own debt. There's no church in the world that could pay for your sin. There's not enough religious works you could do to pay for your sin. You couldn't be baptized enough to wash away all the wrong that you've done. There needs to be a person who can pay that price for you. And his name is Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished. Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God. Jesus endured the wrath of God on my behalf and, and gives me the opportunity to have my sin debt paid. But, there's a catch, you have to make a decision for yourself. God requires two things of you, faith and repentance. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have to believe that Jesus died for your sins. You have to believe that Jesus rose again the third day from the grave. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Faith, but you also need repentance Repentance means a change of mind, which results in a change of heart, which results in a change of direction. You have to agree with God. That's what the word repent means, to agree with God about your sin. You have to say, I believe that I'm a sinner and I choose to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus. Faith and repentance. If you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been born again or you've ever been saved, faith and repentance is the only way to be saved. And you can be saved today. It's not a matter if you've got to join a class. It's not a matter if you've got to do some religious work. you got to do some religious exercise. You need to be saved by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and repenting of your sin. Simple as that. So, friend, if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you need to do that today. Jesus is in John chapter 3. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And So you need to be saved Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not by a church, not by religious works, not by baptism, not by good things that you've done. You have to come to, Jesus, to, to God through Jesus Christ. But for those of us that have been saved, I was saved as a nine-year-old boy. I was saved from my sin. Our family was getting ready to go to church. My dad sat down with me beside my bed in my bedroom. Went through the gospel and I prayed and asked Jesus to save me. And man, he saved me. Praise God for that. But here's the thing. God wasn't just my salvation that one day is a nine-year-old boy. God continues to be my salvation and continues to be my deliverance. You see, I needed God just as much this past week as I did when I was nine years old. I needed God's grace and mercy in my life the same way that I did this past week as I did when I was nine years old because God continues to be my salvation. He continues to be my hope. Now, while we can never lose our salvation, if you have been saved by the grace of God, you will be kept by the grace of God. You cannot lose your salvation, but you need to be saved from yourself on a daily basis. And so while the Lord is our light, He continues to be our salvation. I love what Psalm 18, verse number 2 says. Psalm 18, the beginning of it, I would encourage you, if you're ever going through a difficult time, you say, hey, what's your go-to passage for somebody who's going through a difficult time? Psalm 18 is my go-to. When I visit people in the hospital, when people have just passed away, I usually go to Psalm 18 because it's just a really quick go-to. Psalm 18, verse number 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. What a great promise. That God has promised to be everything for us, to deliver us from difficulty, to deliver us not only from our sin, but also deliver us from our current situations as well. Psalm 62, number one, truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense I shall not be greatly moved. See, we need a Savior. That's why I love the songs we sang today. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. But I also see in this passage here, not only is there light, not only is there our salvation. Take a look at verse number one The Lord is the strength of my life. You see, you and I don't have what it takes to endure, we need the Lord's strength. I need God's strength because, again, my strength is finite. God's strength is infinite. You try to do it on your own, you'll be tired out really quickly. You'll find the end of yourself really quickly. But when you lean upon the Lord's strength, he's enough. I love what Psalm 28, verse number 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth. And with my song will I praise Him, Psalm 28, 7. If you notice as you read through the Psalms, you hear this recurring theme of God being light, but He's also our shield. That in times of difficulty, He can be our strength because we don't have to be strong every day because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that God's grace has made strength strong in our weakness. And so we see that God's promised to be our deliverer, He's promised to be our shield, I love in the Bible when it speaks of God being our shield. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. And the shield that it speaks of in this case here is kind of a full-length body shield. If you've ever seen, uh, you know, older movies where they stand in like a garrison with a shield and they lean behind their shield, that's the type of shield that it says that God is. From aggressors, from things being shot at us, from the arrows of the enemy, you and I can stand behind the shield and God has promised to protect us from that. But I love in Psalm 18 also, it says that he's also our buckler. The word buckler is not a word that we typically use in our vocabulary today, but a buckler is also a type of shield. But this type of shield is a little bit smaller. Think of like a Captain America shield, and it's meant to be worn on the arm in battle. And it's not only to fend off the enemy attacks and to hide your your vital organs behind, but it can also be used as a weapon in close-quarter combat. And so God's promised not only to be a shield where we can run behind and find refuge, he's also offered to be for us in the midst of a battle a weapon where we can continue to advance, not just run and hide. Again, so much richness that we find of of the character of God that we find from the Psalms. I always encourage you, if you're going through a difficult time in life when you find yourself in the midst of of, of a fog of, of battle, When you find yourself in difficulties and trials, run to the Psalms. You will find help there, I promise you. Because again, you find who God is in relation to who you are. And there's always hope there. So you and I need to lean on the Lord's strength. It's also important to note as we go through this again, we're just trying to hit the high points of Psalm uh, 27 here today. But verse number three, Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me, and this will I be confident. It's interesting to note that David's mindset of not having fear and being able to walk in boldness, it isn't based on his circumstances. You know, people sometimes say, well, yeah, I could have a lot of faith if everything was going my way too. Well, you don't need faith when things are going your way. You need faith in the midst of difficulty. Well, yeah, I could be strong if everything was going like it goes for you. You don't need strength when everything's going right for you. And David says, though I be encamped about by the enemy, I'm not going to be afraid. And again, verse number three, "Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. You talk about a guy who's confident in the midst of difficulty. His circumstances didn't sway his faith. David had hope in the Lord. And when we talk about the word biblical hope. It's important to define terms. When we talk about biblical hope, we're not talking about, well, I hope things get better or I hope everything goes my way. I hope this situation works out. We use that word hope synonymously with the word wish. Like, I hope I have something good for lunch today. I hope traffic's not bad this week. It's a wish. Biblical hope is not a wish. When we talk about biblical hope, we're talking about a confident expectation based on the character of God and the promises of his word. That's what hope means. I'll repeat that again. Hope is a confident expectation based on the character of God and the promises of his word. So when the Bible says that we have the hope of heaven, it's not like, well, I hope there's a heaven and I hope I get there. No, no, no. We have the confident expectation of heaven because God has promised it in his word and we have hope for eternal life. That's different from, I hope I have eternal life. You've got to understand the distinction. Because when the Bible talks about hope, it's not just talking about a random wish. It means, I know this will come to pass and it brings me great peace because I know who God is and I know what His Word says. Okay. Next we see in this passage, we have to actively pursue the presence of God. <clears throat> if you want peace in the midst of difficulty, you gotta run to God. Now, when we talk about the attributes of God, there's certain attributes that God has. For example, God is omniscient. What that word omniscient means is He's all knowing. God knows everything that there is. That's an attribute that belongs to God and to God alone. When we talk about the attributes of God, we sometimes refer to these types of attributes as non communicable attributes attributes of God. What that means is he doesn't share them with anybody else. Now, God has other attributes. For example, love. God shares that attribute with us. It's a communicable attribute. God gives it to us so that we can give it to others. But there's certain non-communicable attributes of God that are his and his alone. Omniscience, being all-knowing and knowing everything from the beginning to the end, is a uh, non-communicable attribute of God. The sovereignty of God, that God has a plan from eternity past to eternity future, and he's always in control, even when it appears that he may not be. The sovereignty of God is an attribute of who God is. He's sovereign king over all of creation. We think about the power of God. God is omnipotent or all-powerful. That's an attribute of God that God alone has. Now, these are really important because you need to understand that God doesn't share these attributes with anyone else. And while Satan is a powerful foe, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not all-powerful. He's not sovereign and so in the Bible, it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world basically means, sure, Satan is a worthy adversary, but when it comes to fighting God and the power of God in us, it's not even a fair fight. It's actually kind of embarrassing because Satan is not as powerful. But when it comes to another attribute that God has, God is also omnipresent. He's all places at all times. There's nowhere that you and I can go that God is not. Because that's an attribute of God, his omnipresence. And again, Satan is not omnipresent. That's a non-communicable attribute of God that only God has. How does that relate to this? When we talk about actively pursuing the presence of God, it's not a matter of, well, God's everywhere at all times. It's a matter of finding God, being close to God, and spending time in communion with God is what we're talking about when we're talking about actively pursuing the presence of God. Take a look at verse number four in our passage. Psalm 24, I'm sorry, Psalm 27, verse four. One thing if I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle. Shall he hide me? He shall set me upon a rock. You see, he's actively pursuing the presence of God. Now, it's interesting. He says, I want to go into the house of God. I want to be in the tabernacle. Just to help you understand how things worked in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God traveled with the children of Israel through the wilderness. And wherever they would go and they would set up camp, they would erect a tent where God's Spirit would come down from heaven would dwell with his people in this tent, also known as a tabernacle. When they would leave, they would pack up the tent, they would travel on a little ways, set up camp, set up the tabernacle, God's Spirit would come down, dwell with his people, came time to move, Spirit would go up, pack up the tent, move on to the next place. And they did this until they settled in Jerusalem, and they still had a tabernacle in Jerusalem, and finally David says, God, I've got a really nice house, but you don't. I want to build you a house. And God says, David... You spilled too much blood, you can't build me a house, but I'll let you prepare it and one of your sons can build a house. And Solomon built the temple of God. And then the temple was erected and God's spirit came down to dwell with his people in the temple. And there was a section of the temple that was off limits. You couldn't go, it was called the Holy of Holies. There was actually a curtain that was there that kept people out because that's where God's spirit was. It was the holiest place on planet Earth, because this is where the Spirit of God dwells with his people, the temple. Now, when Jesus was upon the cross, and he said, it is finished, the Bible says that the veil of the temple tore from the top to the bottom, Thus showing that the Spirit of God would no longer be held captive in a holy of holies in the temple, that now it was open for whosoever would come to God could have the Spirit of God within. Jesus said, the temple is going to be destroyed. I'm going to rebuild it. He destroyed it himself and rebuilt it in three days. But here's the thing. The temple in Israel was actually overthrown, ransacked, and tossed. If you know anything about history, you know it sits on top of where the temple was, the Dome of the Rock, which is a Muslim temple now. And so we can look at this as Christians and go, whoa, 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 that was God's house, and now it's a pagan temple? Man, we should be upset about that, right? No, actually not at all. Because the Bible tells us in the New Testament, under the new covenant with Jesus, that the temple of God is now where? Anybody wanna guess? Inside every believer. What, know you not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? God no longer needs a house. He lives inside of you. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my mom used to get onto us for running in church because this is God's house, it's holy, and you don't run in God's house. The choir loft is the best place in the world to play hide and seek and tag. Like, tagging the choir loft, like, you get somebody like two rows apart, you're done. Like, you go this way, I go that way, it's just over. Oh, we got so much trouble because this is God's house and it's holy. And I was certain that there was a verse in the Bible that thou shalt not run in the house of God and play tag. I was certain of it. It was like the 11th commandment or something. I don't know. But you know what I found out? There's nothing special about a building. Did you know that the place that we are, we call this this address, who we call a Baptist Church, but this isn't the church. Did you know this is just a, a warehouse building with concrete walls? There's nothing special about this building. It used to be a fantastic Sam's hair salon over there. It used to be a Korean massage parlor over here that stayed open until 2 a.m. on the weekends because everybody needs to get their kinks and their shoulders worked out at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night, right? Nothing special about this now. Have we taken this space and redeemed it for the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Has God given us the opportunity to have a witness in our city with a building like this? Absolutely. Do we use this to advance the kingdom and to share the gospel? Definitely. But is there anything inherently holy about the building that we're in? I tell you, there's not. This building, 1216 Waimani Street, is not the house of God. You are. I am. What does that have to do with anything? Again, take a look at verse number five. What does he say? Uh, Verse number four. One thing if I desired, Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. Here's what he says. God, I just want to be close to where you are. And get this. This is crazy. If you are the house of God, and I am the house of God, and then every week until Jesus returns, the houses collectively of God gather together multiple times throughout the week to worship God corporately together, to sing praise and worship to God corporately together, to fellowship, to live in community, to care for one another as the houses of God, together collectively, there's power in that community. That's why the church is so important. You and I doing this together. Let me tell you, having to sit on my couch last week and watch the service was one of the most frustrating things in my life because I just wanted to be here. And, and John says, we're going to go into our meet and greet time that we have here. I want you to find somebody maybe that you didn't greet last week. You know, maybe maybe need to move a little over the other side. I'm sitting here listening to him talk. And then the screen goes green. It says, hey, if you're working from home, text somebody and I tell them howdy. And I just sit there for like 10 minutes. I'm like, come on, let's go. Like, I don't know if anybody knows this, but this church has one of the longest handshaking times of any church in America. Okay. It's my fault, I take your responsibility for that. But here's the thing, sitting sitting on your couch at home waiting for the service to start back again is frustrating, you know why? Because that's not how it's supposed to be. You're not just supposed to sit on your couch and stare at the TV. You're supposed to say, hey, I haven't met you yet, my name's Anthony. Oh, you're part of the body of Christ. Good to know. Hey, I'm the temple of God, you're the temple of God, and when we get together as the temples of God, something special happens. That's cool. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. What kind of work do you do? Hey, we should grab coffee sometime. Hey, we should grab a meal sometime. Hey, you're the body of Christ. I'm the body of Christ. This is really cool. Hey, I've never met you before, but you're my brother. You're my sister. This is awesome. That's how it's supposed to work. You're not supposed to just sit on the couch and watch it on your phone while you're getting notifications from Instagram. That's not how it works. That's not the church. And so when David says, I want to pursue the presence of God, he wants to be with the people of God, worshiping God in the presence of God. Does that make sense? And so with him, he says, I just want to be where you are. And while we can't gather together every single day and worship together corporately, you should have a time of personal worship every single day where you pursue the presence of God where you open God's Word and you ask God to speak to you through His Word and you spend time in prayer, communicating to God what's on your heart, what you're struggling with, what you need, or just praising Him. You should listen to quality praise and worship music, not pop bubblegum nonsense that they play on positive and encouraging radio stations. I'm talking about real deal worship music that draws your heart towards the heart of God. That's the good stuff. That's what you want in your life. That's being in the presence of God. That's unique. That's what you need. That's where David found peace, in the presence of God. He says in Psalm 84, verse number 10, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be the lowest of the low servants in the house of God than to be out in what the world has to offer because there's just no comparison. Again, that's why I love the songs that we sang this morning. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Hey, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness any day of the week. And David says, I just want to be where you are. Author Edward Welch said it this way, when you seek the Lord... It means more than just finding a safe place. It means that you order your life according to the laws of the kingdom. The psalmist beseeches God to teach me your ways. And when you seek the king, you're also seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. And see, to pursue the the active presence of God, we need to be mindful of eternal things. You see, so many times we can get tunnel vision on the things of this earth, and we think that these are the only things that matter but you're missing out on the eternal things. Often when talking with Christians, they get their priorities misplaced. They'll say things like, well, you know, it's been a busy week this week. You know, of all the things that we're involved with, we think like, oh, I go to work. I spend some time relaxing, watching TV. Maybe I go to the gym. We go out to dinner sometimes, spend time with the family, hang out with friends. You know, catch up on some projects from work, do some stuff around the house, cut the grass, do some stuff on my honey-do list, whatever, whatever. Then we go to church. And God kind of gets lumped in the things that we do on a, a daily basis. And I'll say things like, hey, I you guys in church on Sunday. And I'll say, oh, it's been a busy week. I mean, crazy stuff going on. Like, I didn't even get to the gym this week. Oh. <laughs> so, like... Being in God's house with God's people, together collectively is the house of God, and going to the gym are kind of the same thing, because that's the level of importance you place on it. That's, that's totally different. That's not how the Christian life is meant to be lived. Minding eternal things means that God is the center of everything, and everything else is just a, a hub off the spoke of who God is. You see, the work that I do is just my opportunity to glorify God and to reflect His goodness in the workplace, in my community. You see, the people that I spend time with, these are people that sharpen my relationship with God, help me to be a better Christian, or they're people that I'm trying to bring to Christ. My hobbies that I'm involved with are fun to be around, but I'm trying to find people at the gym or find people in my canoe club that I can bring to Jesus. You see, my time that I spend with family isn't just mindless time staring at a TV screen. We're actually trying to develop in my children, and in my family, and in my home, a love for Jesus. And the entertainment that I choose to be involved with actually is entertainment that either helps me to build up my faith or doesn't tear it down because God's the center of everything. That's what it means to mind eternal things, When we see life as just life, and then I'm going to throw in a spiritual component on the top. No, no. Jesus isn't the cherry on the top, he's the whole dessert. And so we have to make sure that we understand that from a spiritual perspective. Romans chapter 8, verse number 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are of the spirit, the things of the spirit. Here's what Romans chapter 8, verse number 6 says. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Look, you want to focus on the things that this world has to offer, you will be greatly disappointed and you will only find death and destruction. You want to put your focus on eternal things, here's what the Bible says you will find. Life and peace, which is really just what your heart craves. And so, God wants to do a work in you, but you have to make sure that your focus is on the right things. We have to not only be mindful of eternal things, we also need to be focused on the promises of God. You want peace? Megadose on the Bible. Here's the thing the Bible says that there are great and precious promises of God that are available to you. But you might not even know that because you don't spend time in the Word. That's why I tell you to read the Bible every single day. Every single day until you see Jesus face to face, read the Bible. Become a student of it. Live your life on it. Because there's promises that you don't even know anything about. There's promises that you have not yet claimed. There's things that God wants to give you to help you this week, but you don't even know that it's there. So being in the presence of God is more than just showing up to church once a week. Hey, look, if you're waiting for me to spoon feed you the Word of God every single Sunday... You're missing out on being able to eat the rest of the week for yourself. My job as a pastor is to help you to be a self-feeder so that when you come to church on Sunday, it's like a charge, it's the spark plugs that gets you fired up to carry you through the rest of the week so that you can walk with Jesus on your own. Look, if you're, if you're basing your relationship with Jesus on showing up on Sunday and hoping that I've got a good word for you, you're missing out on the best part of, of walking with Jesus. So again, we've got to focus on the promises of God's Word. That's our strength. That's our confidence. That's our boldness. Psalm 119, verse number 92. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should have perished in mine affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me or made me alive. Psalm 119, 92. Man, I would have died if I hadn't realized what you had promised to me. You see the level of importance that he places on the Bible? I would have died if I had not known what you had promised me. This is somebody who's built their life on the word of God. Next, in actively pursuing the presence of God, you need to be aware of God at work around you. It's easy to get caught up and what's going on in the last seven days. For me, it's hard because I can name you a dozen things that have happened in the last two weeks that I can complain about, but I also need to remember how good God's been. I can complain about my problems that's going on in life and issues that I'm dealing with and things that I struggle with, or I can just remember how good God's been. I think of one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given me outside of my salvation is my wife. And like, man, when we got married, people say, oh, how did you know that she was the one? (laughs) I loved her with every fiber of my being. She was the most beautiful woman I'd seen in my entire life. And I said, I've got to put a ring on this before she figures out what she got into. No lie. Did you pray about it? I did not pray one time. Not one time. Did you guys get premarital counseling? We did not. Did you seek any godly counsel? I did not. I just thought, I love this woman. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. I'm going to put a ring on it. We're going to get married really quick. And no lie, we dated for probably 90 days. I asked her to marry me. We got married 40 days later. I don't recommend that timeline for anybody. But God was really gracious Now, early years, we paid the price for not getting premarital counseling, not getting godly advice, and not putting Jesus first in our marriage. We paid the price for that. But here, let me tell you this. God was so gracious. He's been so good to us. God's blessed us with four incredible children, and he's been better to us than we deserve. Do I have things to complain about this past week? Sure. But I also need to remember where God's already been at work in my life as well. And remember how good he's been. Here's the thing if all I focus on is what I see I'll be greatly discouraged we've uh <coughs> uh, two weeks ago uh, on Monday I tested positive for COVID and my wife wasn't yet positive she, she wasn't got tested she was negative and so I had was uh, staying in my office from Monday through Thursday and if you've ever seen my office it's not anything glamorous for sure uh, I, I never even have meetings in my office because it's so small it's, it's literally probably nine by nine my office uh, and it's, it's super cramped super jammed uh, and I slept in there for four days and it was terrible like my wife tested positive on Thursday and I was just like praise God I can come home and so once my wife and my daughter tested positive and we deemed our, our house the COVID cave. And so I went to the COVID cave and uh, been in COVID jail all the time. It felt fine. I was just really tired, but uh, I couldn't leave because I was quarantining. But I found sitting around doing nothing, which God did not design man to do, just sit around and do nothing. I spent way too much time on the internet, way too much time on social media, way too much time reading the news. And here's what my wife does. She, tur- she turns on the TV and then she walks away. Like, that's like got to be a mental condition or something because it's just like not normal. You sit down and you watch a show and you turn the TV off and you're done. She does it, She turns the TV on and walks away. And then I'm stuck watching a TV show that I don't want to watch, but now I'm engaged in it and I've already started it. I can't, can't finish it. I can't just turn it off. But her, she turns on a show and walks away. And so I got to find, you know, did you choose the lake house or did you choose the house in the city? You know, I don't know which one you chose, but I have to watch this stupid thing all the way to the end because now I got to know, right? And I'm watching the news and, you know, coming up in just a moment, I'm like, ooh, what's coming up in just a moment? Like, we hardly ever watch TV and I watch way too much TV. Uh, And I'm scrolling the news, I'm scrolling social media because I got nothing to do because I'm in COVID jail and it was terrible. But here's what I found. I found that the world's a mess. Oh my goodness. I didn't realize how bad it was. You have everything that that took place with the the pullout in Afghanistan, you have pictures of, of of Taliban sitting in the cockpit of a Black Hawk helicopter. That hurts my heart. To think of the loss of life of, of U.S. service members and the stories of every single one of those that gave their life for freedom for people that don't care. It hurt my heart. To see then the leadership of our nation in such a massive, colossal failure of leadership. This is not a political statement. I pray for our president every single day. But a colossal leadership failure hurt my heart. Then I look at the things that are taking place in our own state and our own local government. And the, the fear and certainty and doubt and the blaming and division and now segregation that's taking place in our community and, and people claiming about rights and loss of rights and loss of freedom and comparing this to Nazi Germany and stuff like that. I'm like, heavens, this is a mess. But then I remember, if this is all that I got going on, There's no hope. If if these people are in charge, we're toast. If this is the only thing that life has to offer, man, we got problems. But then I remembered that God is still at work. And that all of this is going to burn one day. And God is still on the throne. God is still sovereign. God still has a plan. God's still doing something special. And while our church attendance has dropped by 60% in seven days, I know that God knows what he's doing because I certainly don't. So I just need to remember how God's been at work. Next month, we'll celebrate eight years as who we call a Baptist church. Man, and I look back at the last eight years and what God's done. Oh, man, I could tell you stories for hours about how faithful God's been over the last eight years. Why am I going to complain about what he's done in the last seven days? Come on. David says, I just want to be in the presence of God. I just want to be with him. I just want to see him at work. I want to see the things that he does. Next, we see that we can take refuge in God's promised protection. let see verse number five. For the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Here's the thing, God didn't intend for you and I just to sit and cower in fear. God intends you and I to stand up and walk in boldness. Proverbs 28, verse number one, which is our theme verse for this year. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. But here's the thing, there's times in life where you're a little bit shell-shocked, where you need to take a minute and get yourself together, where you just need to take a breather, focus, rest, regroup, re-gear, and get back after it. In those times, God is your refuge. But God is not a campsite where you just camp out forever. But God has promised in times of difficulty that He will be our refuge. He will be our deliverance. He's promised us His protection in times like this. So sometimes... You just need a safe place to sit till the storm passes by. Sometimes you need a place to just relax, know that you're safe, and catch a breather. God can be that place. And let me just help you with this. The people of God are used by God to help you to be a refuge. This church should be a place of refuge for you. <laughs> it always drives me crazy when people say things like, Oh, we weren't in church on Sunday because we got in an argument okay, that's why you should be in church. I just had a terrible week. Nothing went right. Work was a mess. I got all these problems, and I just, I couldn't bring myself to go to church on Sunday. No, 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 that's why you need to be in church on Sunday. It's like saying, I was so sick I couldn't go to the doctor. No, no, no. You go to the doctor to get better because you're sick. You got problems, you need to be with God's people. This is a refuge. This is a place where you can come. And sometimes people say, "Well, I don't want to come and be fake." And everybody asks you if I'm okay, and I'm, I have to say, "Yeah, I'm fine." Nobody ever asks you to lie. Don't lie in, with God's people. Hey, I'm going through a lot. If you could pray for me, that would mean a lot. Nobody's going to sit and ask you twenty questions. If you're going through something. Just show up. Be here. Do what you know to be right. And If you're struggling, it's okay to say, "Hey, I'm not okay." good. Then all the other people that are not okay too can join with you and we cannot be okay together. And just get through it and trust the Lord because he's promised to be our refuge. He's promised to be our protection. Psalm 32 verse number 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto me. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah, man, to think that God promises as the, the wind and waves rush around us, he's promised to surround us and protect us, he says, with songs of deliverance. And what an amazing thought. But here's the thing. If you want the peace of God in your life in the midst of difficulty, if you want to be able to stand in boldness and stand in courage, you've got to do your part. God's already told us in his word that he promises to do his part. He'll be your strength. He'll be your light. He'll be your salvation. He'll be your refuge. He'll be your protection. But here's what you gotta do. You gotta obey. And you'll find great peace in obedience. (laughs) I love what verse number eight says. When thou saidst, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Very simple. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Really easy. You want me to seek your face? I'll seek your face. And notice here in this verse here, verse number eight, God said, seek my face, and he says, okay, I'll seek your face. It's funny, not funny to me, it's frustrating would be a better word. It's not funny at all. That people often, when they go through times of difficulty, they don't want God, they just want God's stuff. I don't want God. I want God to fix my problem. I don't want God. I want money. And if God's got money, I need it. I don't want God. I just need healing in this situation. I don't want God. I just want my problems to go away. I don't want God. I just want him to fix what's broken here. God doesn't work that way. God says, I could give you all this stuff, but it doesn't fix your problems. You need me. And so notice, David doesn't seek God's hand. He seeks God's face first. Does David need things from God? No doubt. But he knows that he needs God worse. And so, you want peace, obedience. Mark this down. You will never have the peace of God while walking in disobedience and rebellion. Never. Never. Not it's unlikely to find the peace of God. You will never find the peace of God as long as you're walking in disobedience and rebellion. It just doesn't happen. Now, you might say, oh, there's been times in my life where I disobeyed God and I had peace. Not the peace of God, you didn't. You can manufacture your own peace if you want to. For example, Jonah, God said go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I think I'll go to Tarshish instead. And God says, "Uh, I don't think so. And a massive storm arose. And where did they find Jonah? Anybody want to help me? Asleep in the bottom of a boat. Oh, but he had peace, right? It was a manufactured peace. It wasn't the peace of God. That's for sure. He found really quickly, manufactured peace doesn't work long. You know why? Because he lost that peace the second he went overboard. So again, you want the peace of God. It comes from just doing what God says. And true obedience comes not from understanding, it doesn't come from emotion, but it comes from genuine faith. Here's the thing it's not hard to obey when it feels right. Anybody could do that. It's not hard to obey when it makes sense. That's easy. It's hard to obey when it doesn't feel right. and It's hard to obey when it doesn't make sense. That's why you need real faith. <laughs> One of my greatest struggles with sin is pride. And pride finds itself in the, the most strange ways. One of my things, no lie, I'm going I'm to confess this to you and you're going to make fun of me. That's fine. One of the things that I struggled with for the longest time, Uh, when my kids went to school in Mililani, I would drive to Mililani, I would drop them off at school, and I would come back, and it was just me in the car. But the zipper lane, wide open, six lanes deep, stopped, nobody in the zipper lane. But you can't ride in the zipper lane by yourself. So I think to myself, my windows are tinted fairly dark. Nobody can see inside my car nobody knows. There's a whole lane over here that nobody's driving in. I'm just going to take the zipper lane. And I did. Not once, not twice, but like a dozen times. And I would always do this. I'd always look on my Waze app, and I would scroll all the way up the zipper lane to see if there were any police in there. If I ever saw one on there, I wouldn't take the zipper lane. What's that? I broke the law. I knew it was wrong, but I didn't care because I was busy. You know what that is? It's pride. You say, oh my goodness, the biggest sin that you have is riding in the zipper lane by yourself. No, no, no. Get this. That's a hard issue to say that the rules are okay as long as they work in my favor. It's a hard issue that says I'm willing to obey as long as it's what I want. It's a hard issue that says the rules are fine unless... They don't make sense, or they shouldn't apply, or they're dumb. And friend, that's a major heart issue. Right in the zipper lane by yourself, does anybody get hurt with that? No. But when you say things like, I don't need to be faithful to my wife because she doesn't meet my needs. Well, time out. It's the same heart issue. The rules don't apply if I don't get what I want. So obedience doesn't come from things just making sense. There's going to be times in following Jesus that it doesn't make sense to obey. Look, when we signed the lease on that side where our children's ministry is right now, it used to be our main auditorium when Huicalla first started. We had five people in our church when we signed a lease on a 3,500 square foot building with five people. You know who those five people were? My family. That was it. That didn't make sense. Our monthly rent was every single dollar that had been committed to help our church start. Every single dollar. Didn't make sense. But we believe it's what God wanted us to do and we believe that God would be faithful. And he was. And he is. We were, had two services over there. Filled it up in about three years. And then we had the opportunity to lease this side. Four years ago we signed our lease on this portion. And at the time we did not need all the space that we had. And it was going to double our monthly overhead to be able to do it. Did not make sense whatsoever. But the landlord says, we're looking at whoever gets in here to sign in a five to ten year lease. And we thought to ourselves, this is our one shot that we have to get this portion of the property. If we miss this, we're done. And we just trusted God. We didn't need the space. We couldn't afford the space. But guess what? God's been faithful. We've never missed a payment. Never been late on nothing. Our our church has zero dollars in debt. None. God's just been faithful. But if I had been led by emotion, there would have been no obedience. Oftentimes we think that we're trying to be wise when we come to a situation and we get out a sheet of paper and we draw a line down the middle and we write two words at the top. What are, the, what are those words? Pro, con, right? So we'll make our pro list, we'll make our con list and then we'll, if we're super spiritual, we'll pray over it. Hey, look, faith is not pros and cons. Obedience isn't pros and cons. If you decide to tithe and give 10% of your first fruits to the Lord, that doesn't make a lot of financial sense. And the world says, that's dumb. But you can say, I can just choose to be obedient and, and trust the Lord. You say, well, that's hard. Yeah, obedience doesn't follow emotion or even reasoning. Obedience follows faith. And verse number eight, it's so crystal clear. God says, seek my face. And David says, okay, I'll seek your face. Let me help you with this. When God ever asks something from you, the only acceptable answer is yes. That's it. And obedience is where you find peace. Next, verse number 10. We find confidence in understanding who we are. I love what he says in verse number 10 when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. (laughs) I love this. Just know this everyone in your life at some point will disappoint you. Ever, always. If you've never been hurt by a church, by a pastor, by other Christians, you haven't been going to church long enough because <laughs> it's going to happen. It happens. Now, understand, as your pastor, at some point, I'm going to do something. If you hang around long enough, I'm going to do something to hurt your feelings. I'm going to say something. Uh, I'm going to be unkind. I'm going to be short. I'm g- you're going to be talking to me, and I'm not paying attention. I might forget to send your birthday card in the mail. Whatever. I'm sorry, when you say it ahead of time. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to disappoint you. When that happens, please let me know because I want to make it right. I really do. I love you. I'm for you. I want us to be friends. I don't ever want anybody to have hard feelings towards me. But I'm going to fail you. Your spouse, at some point, they're going to let you down. They're going to fail you. If they haven't yet, you haven't been married long enough. And here's what he says. Even though my mother or my father fail me, God never will. My parents were really first-generation Christians. They didn't know a lot about walking with Jesus. They just took me and my brother to church every Sunday, and I'm I'm thankful for it. I really am. He said, well, I wish I could have grown up in a Christian home. Hey, look, even if your mom and dad forsake you, the Lord's faithful. I love the fact that our church is the type of church that if you didn't grow up with a strong Christian father, you don't know what it means to be a Christian man. Our church will help you to do that. That's really easy. You say, well, I didn't grow up with a Christian mom. I don't know how to be a a godly woman. Great. We've got a lot of godly women in our church who would love to help you and mentor you and show you what that looks like. You know why? Because even though your family might have failed you, God never failed you. He never will. Though people will disappoint you, God never will. And here's the beautiful relationship that we have with God. If If you've been saved, if you've been born again, you can call God your father. You know, fear desires companionship and God actually takes companionship and one-ups it and gives us sonship. We took a look at it several weeks ago how fear desires companionship. We don't we want to go to a haunted house by ourselves, we want to be scared with other people. When you're afraid, you want somebody to reach out to. You. When someone startles you, you automatically reach for something or someone. Fear wants companionship. Fear doesn't want to be alone. And God says, I got your companionship, I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm going to exceed what you need and give you what you really need. And that is more than companionship, it's sonship. John chapter 1, verse number 12. To them gave he power to become the sons, and could be read, and the daughters of God, even to them that believed on his name. That Jesus Christ and faith in Him offers you and I sonship, daughtership with a heavenly Father. That's better than companionship. You see, companionship is like the lifeguard at the pool who's looking out at the 200 people that are there with his little floaty thing under his arms and his whistle and his Ray-Ban sunglasses on, making sure that nobody drowns. That's companionship. Sonship is the parent that's standing out at the pool with their kid and saying, where's my kid? I don't see my kid anywhere. Oh, there's my kid, okay. (laughs) And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I think my kid drowned. Okay, they're okay. And you see your kid go under the water, and you're like watching the whole time that they're under the water. You're like, okay, they came up. I can breathe now. And the whole time, everything that you're doing, you're watching your children. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's the difference between companionship and sonship. God's not just a companion. God's your father. And to think that a loving heavenly father is just going to leave you out there on your own in the midst of your trial and just let you drown and go, oh, well, that's not who he is. And so when God says, your parents might have failed you, but I won't, you can trust him because he's a better father. Because he's made you more than just a companion. He's made you his family. Finally, we see in this passage here, verse number 14. Courage comes from daily commitment to waiting on the Lord. I love verse number 14. It's so good. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Took a look at it two weeks ago. There's not, for what you're going through, there might not be a quick exit for you. You might be here for a minute. I know people in our church that have been praying for family members and spouses to be saved for decades. <laughs> There's not a quick answer coming to that. I know people who have strained relationships with family members that haven't been fixed yet. I know marriages in our own church that are struggling because people aren't willing to walk in the Spirit and to Love one another and submit to one another the way the Bible says. And if that's you, first of all, I want to help. Second of all, it's not going to be fixed in 24 hours. Wouldn't it be awesome if we, you and I could just pray a prayer and then 30 seconds later God answered? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Now, I, I, God does that sometimes, doesn't He? I've been at Alabama Shopping Center at Christmas time and prayed for a parking spot and I say amen and I see reverse lights and it's just like, Mmm, God is good, right? And you say, do you think God really cares about parking lots? God cares about birds. Are we not better than they is what the Bible says. Now, do I believe that God cares that your favorite football team won today? I don't think he cares about that, but that's just me. I don't know. But here's what I do know. God doesn't always answer all your prayer requests in 30 seconds. Sometimes he might answer them in 30 days. Sometimes he might answer them in 12 months. Sometimes you might answer them in a few decades. But that's where the growth comes in for you. And again, we don't like this, but this is the process. Because we see God at work every single day, and that's what keeps us going. That God's promise to give us our daily bread. Not our weekly bread or our monthly bread, but our daily bread. <clears throat> Why? To keep us coming back to Him. Time and time and time again. <clears throat> Psalm 27, verse number 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have been dead if I hadn't saw God at work again and again and again. And let me just tell you, whatever you're going through that's causing you fear, uncertainty, and doubt might not go away this week. And here's the thing, that's okay because Jesus is enough. You might not have the answers to fix all of the things that are broken right now. That's okay because God's promised to be faithful. You might not see a way out of the mess that you find yourself in today. That's all right. Just keep walking with Jesus, walking in obedience every single day. Because immediate results don't grow your faith, waiting does. Man, let me just tell you this. If you want to be a better runner, you know what you need to do? You need to run. Not once or twice, like four or five times a week. Oh, I'd love to run a marathon. You got about eighteen weeks of training five days a week, and it's gonna be hard. You have to mark some time off your calendars, things are gonna to have to cut out if you want it. But you're not gonna be able to run a marathon tomorrow if you don't if you can't run to the fridge without being winded. You know why? Daily discipline. It's funny, sometimes people say, well, well, Pastor, I didn't grow up like you. So I, you know, I, my faith isn't like yours. First of all, you have no idea how I grew up. <laughs> Secondly, everything that I have in my life that God has blessed me with has come from two-plus decades of obedience and walking with Jesus every single day. I didn't get it overnight, and you're not going to get it overnight. You want a strong faith? It's built over decades, not a couple of weeks ago going to church. You want a, a strong faith that doesn't come from watching a couple of cute YouTube videos. You want a strong faith that doesn't come by typing amen on some goofy meme that somebody put on Facebook. Good grief, that stuff drives me bananas. Where does strong faith come from? Walking with Jesus over time. You say, oh, I ain't got time. That's all he got. Now, let me just tell you, wait on the Lord be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. I, I love that word. He'll give you courage. Again, our, our theme verse this year is talk about boldness. I love the word encouragement. You know what the word encouragement means? It means to put courage into. I want to be an encourager. I want to put courage into people. But again, the courage that I offer is not hang in there, buddy. You got this. The encouragement that I have for you is God is faithful. Somebody this week texted me terrible news. Again, I texted you back. I love you. I'm praying for you. Three words. God is faithful. I didn't say, hang in there. You got this. Because you know what? They don't have it. You can be strong. You can get through this. You can't get through this. You got this, bro. I believe in you. They don't have it. But you know what I said? God is faithful. Can't go wrong with that. Did the hurt go away immediately? Nope. That's why you got to wait on the Lord, be of good courage, allow him to strengthen your heart. It's a process. So the question is, if God is my light, my salvation, my strength, of whom or of what should I be afraid? If God is who He says that He is, and He is, why should I fear? Why do I worry? Why do I have anxiety? Why do I wring my hands and think, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I don't know what's (laughs) going to happen. If God is who He says that He is, just trust Him. So when we find ourselves overwhelmed with fear, anxiety, uncertainty, doubt, It's one of two problems. Either God isn't who he said he is, or I don't believe him. Those are the only two options. And God, guaranteed, is exactly who he says he is. So the only problem is we don't have enough faith, we don't believe him. And that's why fear must be triumphed by faith, not just that we can grind through it, but that God is who he says he is, and he's good to his word, and you can take it to the bank. most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, friends, you don't have access to these promises of God. You do have reason to fear because after this comes God's judgment upon your life, and you need to be saved. But for those of us that are saved, fear, uncertainty, doubt, anxiety, getting upset about the things you see on the news, let all that go. God's in charge. He's faithful. He's good. I just need to be obedient. I just need to do what he told me to do. And if we do that, we'll find a peace that passes all understanding. Let's live like that this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, A welcoming church family and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.